0: OK, yes, it is us back at the Story Hive in the Autumn Winter Season podcast episode number, I think it's four. Good grief, we're getting through this today. And in this next three you know, story section, as we always like to get across to you, we've chosen to do it from one particular collection. And that collection today is September in Rome. If you've ever been to Rome, if you've ever been September, these stories are going to be very familiar. And if you haven't, this is what Rome is like in September. So without further ado, let's whiz on to the first story, and it's called Gino's Story. The hotel lobby was freezing, the air conditioning at full blast. The September heat outside, unbearable. Gino stood behind the reception desk, and he glanced at the clock. They had a large party arriving in half an hour, and he sipped his coffee, appreciatively. He'd been at the Hotel Coliseo three years now. It was his first manager's position and he nodded to Nemembe, the new porter. The man was very efficient and best of all eager to please. The phone rang and Carlotta answered it. Hotel Coliseo, how can I help you? She was gorgeous. He stared at his feet. Carlotta had joined them just one month ago. A transfer from one of their sister hotels. Marie, the old receptionist, leaving to emigrate to Australia, of all places. But now, there was Carlotta. And he adored her. Not not the not ever showed it. The huge poster with Welcome to Rome dominated the far wall, and he suddenly studied it intently. He often did that anything to avoid staring at Carlotta. He loosened his tie. It was a new shirt, and he could feel the collar cutting into his neck. His friends had commented about his weight recently, but he couldn't help it. It wasn't as if he was huge. He was just well padded. It had come upon him suddenly. Last year he'd been a large, and this year... He was a nearly extra large, but he was working on it. And thankfully, the hotel gym was quiet in the middle of the afternoon, so he'd been making use of it. Although he couldn't see a difference quite yet. But he'd cut right down on cakes, he'd stopped eating pizza late at night. He lived alone, and being ever mindful of costs, he made most of his own food. It was cheaper and better. But... He did like to cook. It was a passion. It had started with his aunt. Her husband owned the Ristorante de Rome, fine food at its best, and seeing her nephew's love of eating, she'd coached him in the finer culinary arts. His flair for cooking evident. He'd even gone to catering college. But in part, due to his father and his uncle's prodding, He'd concentrated on hotel management. And he'd got top marks. He could quote the training manual. In fact, it was almost his Bible. Papa and Uncle Giovanni had been right. Management. He was more responsible, not to mention better paid. But his aunt's lessons had stayed with him. And despite his diploma in hotel management, it was food "'that still made his soul sore. "'The market at Campio di Fiori, now his favourite haunt, "'next to the Mercato di Tistaccio, which was near where he lived, "'cooking now his hobby, not his profession. "'Carlotta called out to him and pointed. "'A large, sleek coach had pulled up, outside. "'The new party-booking. "'They were early.' and fixing a bright smile onto his face, Gino went to greet the new guests. They were German, very organised and polite, and their tour leader was a very stunning young blonde woman who kept making little jokes. He didn't understand most of them, but laughed anyway, and she seemed to like this. M.M.B. darted around hauling cases, his bright, happy smile infectious, until the lobby felt like a very happy place full of happy people. And Carlotta efficiently entered all the guest's details, her beautiful face, so calm and studied. Gino tried not to look at her. His heart thumped in his chest. (sighs) Carlotta. He loved it when everything worked so well. It filled him with personal and professional pride. And in no time at all, Forty guests had all been checked in, given key cards and directed to their rooms. They looked like spenders, he thought. All well-dressed, their clothes clearly expensive. Gino mentally rubbed his hands together. The company was offering a bonus scheme on breakfasts this month. Managers who consistently filled their breakfast room were eligible for a weekly 100 euro bonus and judging by the tour leaders comments they'd be taking up the special 10 euro breakfast offer he smilingly praised both carlotta and nemembi for their excellent work and everyone smiled a happy workplace was a good workplace rule number 25 in the manual he'd bought the book a month earlier it was called the life manual Gino had bought the book after watching an interview on television. It was full of ways to improve your life, personal and business. It had been written by some American woman. For Gino was not confident. It was just his way. Competent, not confident, he'd once overheard his father say. And the man knew his son. He needed help. And the book was perfect. It had an answer for everything. Well, almost everything. He just wanted a woman. Someone to share his days with. It wasn't much to ask. He prayed often for it, but if God was listening, he wasn't coming up with the goods. Patience is strength, the book said in Rule 73. Patience and the thought of meeting someone like the young German woman skipped at the back of his mind. She was very attractive. He glanced down at his tummy. Mm, Unlikely, he thought. And before he could stop himself, he sighed heavily. Women. Difficult. He avoided looking directly into Carlotta's eyes. He always did. And patting Mambi on the shoulder and his mind now racing with fantasies, he reluctantly headed back to his small office. Paperwork to do, as always. In a way, it was his only relief and the knowledge that he would be leaving today at six and a night off cheered him up. The next day, he would take the whole day off. His first that month. Francois, the assistant manager, was more than capable of looking after things. But all the same, Gino wrote one of his long and detailed instruction emails. Francois was fine in his own way. Very efficient, very French. But still. He was always discounting rooms. A little lost Japanese girl had been one of his latest. He was just too easy with people. And so Gino tapped away at his list. Reminders better than forgetters, rule 40 in the manual. Those Germans were worth 400 euros to him, and he'd seen a new hand blender he wanted. And so on he worked until, eventually, it was time to leave. Thankfully, the heat has subsided considerably on his walk back home, and mindful of his new walking regime that evening, he sat on his exercise bike. No gaining without some paining. Rule 70. Salad for dinner, followed by fresh fruit. He'd placed the bike in the middle of the lounge, in front of the television. It was the football. And he pedalled his way through three goals, a free kick and a missed penalty, before turning in. A quick shower to clean himself, until gratefully he lay exhaustedly back on his bed. The soft pillows freshly laundered. But as he lay down to sleep, one image stayed uppermost in his mind. It wasn't the match or the missed penalty... As usual, it was Carlotta. It was terrible. Every day he saw her. He loved her more, but he knew the company rules. No star fraternisation. Not that that was the real problem. What on earth would she want with a man like him? He knew it. He was chubby and short. And she... Was a goddess. He'd seen the male guests looking at her. She was like a supermodel, tall and leggy, her long brown hair falling about her tanned face. As for her eyes, they were pools of limpid green he drowned in every day. Set in a classical Roman face, he didn't stand a chance with her. It was hopeless, And he wriggled around the bed. This was no good. The book wasn't that much help in this department. And he started to think about a new recipe he'd got from one of his magazines. Until thankfully, exhaustion finally swept over him and he drifted away to sleep. The next morning, he woke early. He always did. And he groaned as he stood in the shower. It was a day off. He felt good. He'd agreed to buy some things for his mother and jumping on the tram, he headed into the city. Rome was busy and the September weather was good today, sunny and bright. The food market was wonderful. It was full of things to look at and buy and taste. Rome was the perfect tourist city. And Gino patiently stood in lines at various stalls and shops, and he emptied his mind. Rule 22. Use your free time to maximise your thoughts. And in under an hour, he completed all his purchases, and shunning the crowded trams of the metro, he purposely set off for home. The walk, part of his exercise strategy. Walking was good. The book said so. Rule 36. And apart from the mugginess in the air and the trams that sailed past, he felt happy, his shirt unfortunately sticking to his back. He glanced at his watch. He had all the time in the world. It was his day off. The streets around were very busy, and he grinned at the antics of the men dressed in centurion costumes by the Colosseum as he passed, Two of them used the hotel's outside bar sometimes. Older men, but still very fit. The oldest centurion still on guard in Rome, they joked. Funny way to earn a living, he'd always thought. But at least they added colour. Plus, they bought a lot of drink, and the hotel guests seemed to like them. Lots of pictures got taken. Although one of their number had recently been murdered, they told him. Nothing surprised Gino. It was Rome, after all. He puffed along, and as he crossed the road at the bottom of the Paka Oppia, he saw the baby buggy. That was odd. A baby buggy, rolling slowly along on its own. That didn't look right. Where was the mother? And then, a terrible thought overcame him. Supposing there was a child inside, and he looked around, but no one else was particularly near, and then he saw the woman running. "'Instinctively, he clutched his shopping bag to his chest "'and broke into a shambling sprint. "'The buggy was picking up speed, "'and he felt the blood now roaring in his head. "'He, he, he really was out of shape, "'and plus the shopping seemed to suddenly weigh a thousand kilos, "'and he dropped it, "'the buggy reaching a steeper part of the slope, "'and he could see that on its current path "'it would be onto the busy road in a second. His mouth was open, and now he was gasping. And the woman was screaming now, screaming, and the buggy was bouncing towards the busy road, traffic roaring by at speed, and it had nearly reached the pavement edge. And with a final effort, Gino flung himself forward. And diving, he grabbed the handle and pulled it to a stop. The impact... (laughs) as he hit the stone pavement, very painful, and he thought his heart would burst, his hand tightly gripping the buggy, and he lay there, momentarily, half-stunned. Sweat was dripping down his face, and unsteadily he got to his feet. He was struggling to breathe. The child, he suddenly thought, the child, and turning the buggy around... He reeled back. Instead of a child, there was a small dog in a pink coat. A small dog that now bared its teeth at him and snarled. He he didn't know what to think. He was stunned. But before he could react, the screaming woman arrived and scooping up the tartan coated little bundle of fur, she cooed to it. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. He was still out of breath what the hell was going on? The woman now thanked him profusely, at the same time as cuddling her pet, and she called him a hero, but he didn't quite hear her, the breath still rasping in his throat. This was crazy. He half waved his hand in acknowledgement at her, and turning, he walked back up the hill and begun collecting his abandoned shopping bags. They looked okay, and the eggs, of course, were broken. Some of the fruit was bruised. Damn, he thought. The woman called out to him, and he turned. She was late for something, she said, but thank you again, my hero, she said. And smiling, she put her small dog back into the buggy and wheeled it away. (sighs) Gino sighed. His chest hurt, his leg hurt. His body hurt, and it still felt very tight to breathe. And seeing the nearby cafe across the broad street, he stumbled unsteady along to the crossing, his throat dusty and dry. And limping slightly, he slumped at one of the tables. Rest, he thought. Relax. Just catch yourself up. He waved at a waiter. Ugh. The man was efficient. The drink came very quickly, cold, perfect. And after a minute or two, he began to feel slightly better. But then he glanced down at his clothes. They were filthy. His shirt was covered in dust, his new jeans blooded and torn at the knee a little from where he dived for the buggy. And now, not to mention, a large bruise he could see slowly blooming on his forearm. Fantastic, he thought. Superman saves a dog. He noticed two men at the next table, staring, and they must have just sat and watched the whole thing. And one of them smiled at him and lifted his thumb. He nodded, half-smiling back, and then turned away, his breathing still a little ragged. God, he thought. I really am out of shape. Then to his surprise, he saw the young woman next to the men wave to him. Years later, he remembered those first words she spoke to him as she came over. That was fantastic. You're amazing. And he looked up into her eyes. They were magnified by her very thick glasses but they were the brightest blue he'd ever seen. And she blinked, her eyes huge behind the lenses. I saw the whole thing. You saved that baby. You should get an award. He tried to look composed and he caught his breath. She tugged her glasses off and absent-mindedly rubbed them with a little cloth. And then she sat down. She was so pretty, really pretty, thick black hair piled high on her head, plump tanned Roman skin. And he tried to speak, but she held up her hand. No, don't say anything. I can see you're going to deny it, but I saw the whole thing. I even saw her holding her baby, alive and well, and all because of you. Whatever you say, I think you're a hero. "'and she reached across the table and took his hand. "'I wish there were more people in the world like you, "'so brave, so unselfish.' "'She peered at him, blinking again, "'her gorgeous eyes magnified by her thick lenses, "'and he looked at her and he smiled shyly. "'Well, it, it was nothing, really.' "'He paused for a moment. "'When a child's life is at stake,' and the rest of his words were drowned out by the noise of a passing tram, and the girl moved closer, her eyes locked on his, her expression adoring. And Gino felt his heart lift and soar, for she was the one, the one he'd always dreamed of, and barely a few thousand metres away had she but known it she sat behind the reception taking someone's credit card details carlotta would never be in gino's mind again rome the city of love well we hope you enjoyed that one because the next one from the september in rome collection this has been named by our listeners as their most well popular story certainly in this collection in fact in many of the collections and so I can get you straight into that story I'll just give you the title and the title is Paulus Story. The silk robes swished around his legs they were light perfect for the September heat beautifully embroidered they twinkled in the camera flashes the heavy golden papal cross hanging around his neck and he fingered it as he moved, the jewels sparkling. The crowd in the room moved forward, and at a signal they sank to their knees, the Swiss guards snapping to attention. The papal trumpeters sounded their fanfare, flash guns flickered like tiny lightning strikes, and all eyes followed his holiness as he moved along the line, his hands raised in the sign of blessing. The room was rich with decoration. Great gilded angels and cherubs at every ceiling corner. Scarlet drapes, heavy with brocade at each window. Sumptuous. That best described the room. And the mood for those kneeling on the thick carpets? Expectation. Emotions running high. Not just because of the vastness of the room or its bright decoration, Another sensation, devotion. The Pope himself, their direct line, to the Lord. Some even wept, as his holiness blessed them personally, a memory they would all keep to their dying day. They gazed adoringly at the back of his gleaming white robes, as he turned to wave to them for one last time, as the great doors closed, and he made his last sign of the cross. The ceremony was over. <clears throat> he coughed, his throat dry, and he quickly stepped into the small lift with the senior cardinal, Cardinal brichetti it was rumoured he was the Holy Father's right-hand man, and the other lesser cardinals stood back, bowing reverentially as the doors closed with a soft hiss. A second pass. Good job today, Paulus, and he clapped him, friendly, on the shoulder. You are great. And he smiled his red senior cardinal's cape hanging heavily across his broad shoulders, and carefully he tapped a code into the digital keypad on the wall. Paulus smiled shyly, averting his eyes. The lift was mirrored, and he stared at his papal robes. They were an exact copy of the Holy Fathers, made by the same man, just for him. And Paulus marvelled at his luck, his new job, stand-in for the Pope. The lift smoothly came to halt at an unnumbered floor. Of course, it was all a closely guarded secret. And Cardinal Bruchetti gently patted his shoulder again. The changing rooms were airy and pleasant. His cubicle even had a spray of fresh flowers. This was his first month on the job, but he still remembered their first meeting. It was his sister who'd seen the advert in the local newspaper, Lookalikes Wanted. She'd often remarked how much he looked quite like the Holy Father, but it was an agency who supplied entertainers for parties. He'd gone along for an audition. Why not, he'd thought. And the small office above a local laundrette had been cramped and hot. He'd sat with two Elvises, a Tom Cruise, and a slightly overweight Berlusconi, but they were all very good, he thought. The likenesses quite amazing. And the man who ran the place had been very friendly. He'd been taken on. They took his picture. Fake Pope, it said, underneath. 400 euros. But that first event... He'd been so nervous. It had been at a very grand hotel, an American investment bank. And his papal costume had been very poor, he'd thought, the material cheap and the nylon grey wigs scratchy and hot. But still, he'd haltingly read out a statement for the assembled diners and then mock-blessed them. People were howling with laughter. He felt quite bad. Foreigners? Mocking the Holy Father? He'd struggled with the whole concept. However, as his sister had pointed out, the money was very good. His pizza van delivery driver job, not so well paid. But then, salvation. Cardinal Brichetti himself had visited Paulus at his tiny apartment being rather embarrassed to let the man see how he lived. The place was very poorly furnished. But then the proposition, the amazing proposition, life-changing. He, if he so chose, was to stand in for the Holy Father at Vatican events. And his life had started anew. The conditions, though stringent, were very acceptable, highly acceptable. No one could know. His cover story was he worked in the Cardinal's office as a personal assistant. But his true job was simple. The Holy Father had a punishing schedule, countless events and audiences, and he wasn't a young man anymore. Cardinal Brichetti was, in fact, head of Vatican Security. Officially but his vast network of contacts had led him to Paulus, and so it was Paulus had begun to fill in for his holiness at various events. He'd had a special voice coach, who'd given him the skills to mutter a few phrases, nothing long, blessings and such, and he'd had to lose a few pounds in the Vatican gym, oh and he'd also had to dye his own natural brown hair grey just like the Holy Fathers. When he visited his family and friends, he often wore a very expensive brown wig, plus cleverly new designed glasses. It was all part of his contract, but this new life was very good. Certainly worth the tiny inconveniences. Basically, he had a minimum of eight appearances every day, double on Sunday, every other Friday and Monday off general audiences, all cleverly stage-managed. He lip-synced to short speeches, he shook hands, he gave out papal medals and awards. And as the Cardinal explained, people were so excited to meet the Holy Father himself, they were off guard the entire time. And even Paulus had to admit the likeness was startling. His face Almost a facsimile. Each morning when he sat in the makeup chair, it was clear. The photograph they used was almost a mirror image. But he was a good Catholic. The Cardinal had appraised this very early on, and Paulus was perfect for the job. Heaven sent, he thought. The long hours of study had not been too hard. Three months he'd been at it before the Cardinal had deemed him ready. And then he was off. A diligent student, he got everything absolutely correct. And of course, he was almost uniquely qualified. His resemblance to the Holy Father, amazing. A gift from God, the Cardinal said. Memories of him driving his pizza delivery van through the stifling Rome-September heat occasionally popped into his mind. He wasn't stupid, but he did know his limitations. But this amazing job offer, it was marvellous. The money was going to let him live very comfortable now and later. Plus, it came with a very generous Vatican pension plan. And Paulus smiled at himself in the mirror as he pulled his brown wig into place and tugged on his new red jeans. Red jeans. It had been explained that when not being his holiness, he had to look as different as possible. And at first he had felt strange, the clothes they chose so different to his old style. Bright brash colours, brand label clothing... But it was all very clever, for he looked as far different from the Holy Father as could be imagined, and that was important. And so, as he padded along the corridor to his large new apartment, he yawned. That had been a long day, he thought, but a good one. And putting his key in the door, he let himself in. Time for a nap, he thought. He'd have dinner, get an early night in, and then a day off tomorrow, seeing his sister Carlotta and the kids. Life was very good. The Sunday sunshine beamed in through the window, and Carlotta's apartment was clean and bright. The new television's picture, very sharp, the colours so vibrant, Paulus thought. It had been a birthday gift to his nephews, his new salary very generous. Let the family benefit, he thought. After all, it was Carlotta that had started the whole thing. He sat back and yawned, and the crowd on screen roared their approval. St Peter's Square was packed with the faithful, the Holy Father waving from the balcony, and Paulus idly flicked the channel. Today, he wasn't needed until much later, and lunch smelled fantastic. Family cooking, the best thing in the world, he thought. And as they sat at the table, he bowed his head and said the grace. He loved his family so very much. His two nephews, adorable, Pepe and Lorenzo, his sister, well, a delight. And the day passed pleasantly, even allowing him to doze for a while on the sunlit balcony of the apartment. And the hours slowly passed until his special alarm watch beeped. Duty called. And after hugging everyone, he ambled out the door and into his new Alfa Romeo car. Hmm, It wasn't a sports car. No, just a regular model, medium-sized. But it was the first brand-new car he'd ever owned in his life. A personal gift from the Cardinal himself. A work car, he'd been told. It had a great stereo, an air-conditioning, and it was red. Though for Paulus, best of all, leather seats, with red piping on the black. He adored it. He enjoyed the engine as it revved, and he yelled goodbye, and waving to the children and his sister, he smilingly tooted his horn and headed back to the Vatican. Time for work. Evening shift. The young nun brushed at Paulus's shoulder. "'with a fine brush. "'He could see her hands were trembling "'and he half-smiled to himself. "'If only she knew. "'Just five hours earlier "'he'd been drinking a beer "'and watching the football. "'Of course, he'd brushed his teeth five times. "'And he caught her eye. "'The poor thing looked almost ready to faint. "'She was, in the presence of her spiritual leader, "'or so she thought, the cardinal had insisted no one but he and two trusted Vatican security advisors could ever know the truth. It was a closely, closely guarded secret. There was even another stand-in, Paulus had been told, but today it was his turn to be on duty. Looking into the mirror, he mentally prepared himself, just like they taught him. Be the man. Be the man, he thought. And he surreptitiously took a deep breath. He was in the zone. And as he swept into the great meeting hall, the crowd sank to their knees. The Pope was here. The Holy Father himself. He heard it in a hundred whispers. Moving forwards, he began working the room just as he'd been taught. A handshake here. A kissed cheek there, and just behind him, the ever present Cardinal Brichetti and his security team hovering close by. It didn't look like a very contentious crowd, he thought priests, nuns, elderly looking men in suits, and he shook each hand, mumbling in the way he'd been taught. And every person swore the Pope had said something personal. The amazing power of self-delusion at work. Until finally he arrived at the end of the line and he smiled and held out his ringed hand. The heavy-set woman looked at him and suddenly lurched forward, and she screamed so loudly, a knife of some kind appearing in her hand, black and dull and wickedly serrated, made of ceramic to fool the sensors, and one of the security men dived. But he was too late. The knife thrust forward, and the room froze. Paulus reacted instinctively he often remembered how his old army sergeant had praised him you're the best in my self-defense class he'd said you're a good student and i'm proud of you that had been all those years ago and add to that the number of times Paulus had been attacked delivering pizza it was almost inevitable his instinct simply took over and to the watching crowd's astonishment, His Holiness expertly grabbed the woman's arm. He spun her in a whirl, and smoothly he chopped the knife from her hand, and with a crack that could be heard around the room, he viciously headbutted her, following through with a double fist strike to her chest. The woman fell back as if poleaxed, unconscious, insensible people sprawling all around her. And Paulus froze, his karate hand raised for the next attack. And without knowing why, he changed it into the sign of the cross. It seemed fitting, but right then he was very confused. They hadn't covered this in the training. There was silence for what seemed... An eternity. And then, a gradual smattering of surprised applause. And he caught the cardinal's expression. The man's large mouth, now frozen in a huge O of shocked surprise. And in his heart, Paulus felt sad. And one single thought, now pulsed in his mind one thought alone i hope they let me keep the car now that one is a killer you've got to admit that is a killer anyway as i keep saying in all the podcasts we've decided to take out the writing tips now so we can get straight onto the stories do look at our social media look at our facebook page look at our instagram there's lots of writing tips in video form which we think is a little bit probably better for you to actually take it all in but it allows us to zoom on to our final story from the September in Rome collection and it's a rather beautiful one and it's actually called Alexa's Story. The shop was busy. September was still a good month. Tourists stood around the glass display cases. Handmade glass jewellery. The family speciality. Imported Murano glass. Alexa watched her father talking to three elderly French ladies. They were entranced by him. He was a good-looking man, and he laughed easily with them. It was nearly closing time, and outside, the late evening sun cast a shadow across the large shop frontage. They owned four shops across town, all doing very well, popular with both locals and tourists. And it did help that Trevi Fountain was just around the corner, the Via del Tritone still busy despite the time. But then the phone rang, and Alexia smiled as she heard her mother's voice. She wanted some more tomatoes. And now turning, she saw her father wrapping a large box in tissue. Good sale. Two beautiful vases, part of the new collection. A good few thousand euros. And now catching his eye, she began to prepare to close up for the evening. The drive home was terrible. There was traffic everywhere and traffic works. She half listened as her father complained about the idiots running the city. And finally, after another 40 minutes of crawling through near motionless cars, they pulled into their small driveway. The house was noisy, as usual, and her two aunts had arrived with their children. and Alexia's three brothers and their friends were playing a noisy game of football in the garden. And now more people appeared at the side gate. Uncle Antonio and his strange friend Franco she never really trusted him. He would once slapped her on the behind. He was an idiot. His job was dressing up for tourists, pictures at the Coliseum and stuff. Hardly a profession for a grown man, she thought. But then he saw her and blew her an exaggerated kiss, and she muttered under her breath, moron. And now she ran upstairs to her bedroom to get ready. Two of her little cousins were both lying on her bed, and they threw their arms around her, squealing with delight, and she toppled over in a pile with them, giggling. There were such pretty little things, Donata and Rosa. But now from downstairs, her mother called out, clapping her hands. Dinner! Dinner's ready! And now Alexia barely had time to wash herself and change when father was banging on the door. Come on, come on, it's dinner, hurry up! And now she dragged a hairbrush through her hair as the two smiling girls tugged at a belt, and soon they all tumbled down the stairs. The big table was covered in food, and she watched her mother and her two sisters now efficiently laying out bowls of salad and pasta, and her mouth became wet. God, she was hungry, and the smell was divine. And now the room, loud with conversation, with her father describing his sales to his brother, who ran two of the other shops. On the other side, her Aunt Marta describing their recent holiday to Paris, and then she could hear that idiot Franco telling one of his silly stories. He really was a moron. Her brothers were yelling about football as usual and she raised an eyebrow at their friend Albie. He had a huge crush on her and she knew it. But although he was sweet, he really was too young. And right at that moment, he was attempting to cram a huge amount of food into his already overfull mouth and he caught her gaze and she saw his cheeks redden. He was a sweet boy, she thought. The next hours passed noisily. They always did. And Alexia joined in wherever she could, and food just kept appearing as if in a miracle. Bowls and plates and dishes of all kind, 16 eventually in total at the table, not including the two dogs. Her father yelled at them to sit, and they ignored him, as usual, tiny panting tongues lolling from their mouths. And after another few hours, people eventually began to leave, with kisses and hugs and coats being gathered until just as the clock in the hall rang that it was ten, the large kitchen contained just Alexia and her mother. And now they chatted away as they patiently filled the two large dishwashers, much of the clearing clearingway had started earlier with everybody. And now her father leant around the doorway and made a comment about the two beautiful girls he had working for him. They both shouted at him, smiling. It was an old smoothie, her mother said, and she threw a drying-up towel at him. And now they carried on, putting things away in cupboards the place clean and wiped down until soon the house fell silent (sighs) alexia yawned. it was a day off tomorrow and so she went outside and sat on the garden swing the night air warm and still the september heat now cooling down as she pushed herself off with her feet drifting back and forward until her father appeared from the double doors at the back room and she saw the glow of his cigar. Mama's gone to bed. He drew in a breath. Her her back is playing up again. And he stretched and sat on the step. What a lovely night. And from the street somewhere a siren sounded and then faded as it headed on its errand. And Alexia briefly closed her eyes. Typical of Rome. And then... Five minutes more passed. Her food comfortably settling in her stomach. And then her father coughed. She turned to see him, staring upwards. I once saw a sky like this when I was a teenager. It was back in luxury. He rubbed his forehead. 1976. A very hot summer. Very, very hot. And he puffed on his cigar. I'll always remember it. It was the school holidays and i missed the trip to Rome. He snorted, toothache. <laughs> what a thing, what timing. And now Alexia slowed her swinging until finally she came to a stop. He glanced at her. I couldn't sleep. It was the heat. And your grandparents were asleep, fast asleep. I could hear Papi snoring. And she saw him smile in the glow of his cigar. So I went downstairs on the back stairwell. You know the metal one you used to sit on when you were kids? And then I decided to go for a ride on my bike. The village was safe. Everyone knew everyone. But that heat was just too much. You fought back a yawn. So I decided to ride down to the lake. Do you you remember the lake? It was cooler by the water, if you could stand the flies. But I didn't want to go to the main town. That was always full of the bigger kids and you get picked on. So I headed for a place out by the trees where they park the water trucks. Me and your uncle we once made a play fort there out of old fence panels the wind blew now rustling the leaves on the vine and alexia held her breath she was still full she really shouldn't have had that piece of tar but then she glanced again at her father who seemed lost in contemplation anyway when i got there i saw someone sitting by the broken pipes and i stopped and I was about to ride off when they called my name. And his voice changed, sounding smaller almost. It was a girl at my school, a strange one. She was a Corsican. She'd missed the trip too. And then she said I could sit down if I wanted. So I did. And we talked about school for a while. I can't remember her face. It was such a long time ago. And now he trailed off, almost lost. And a few minutes passed, and Alexia watched as he continued to look up into the sky. And when he spoke again, he had a tone in his voice she'd never heard before. The heat was, well, it was so intense, and she asked me if I liked her. I said I did, she was nice. She'd give me her sweets before, and so I told her. And then she took hold of my hand. And she said she had something much nicer. And then she kissed me. And he paused now. A catch in his voice. Properly. Alexia held her breath. And in the far distance, a dog barked, Probably Bruno down the street. The baker's dog. It was so nice. The father finally said to be kissed on a hot night, with such innocence. <laughs> uh, me, huh? Miha. I never forgot it. And <laughs> see that. Now he shook himself suddenly, as if he were trying to dislodge a wasp. And now, standing up, he went back into the house. And Alexa kicked her legs out again, and the swing moved forward. What a What a lovely thing to learn, she thought. Her father, so young and so innocent. And she thought about her first kiss, but she'd gone a lot further and it hadn't been that nice. The boy, so clumsy, but well, that was just life sometimes. It was so lovely to hear. She thought, well, every family has its secrets and its stories and some big and some small. And then she smiled, but her second kiss, oh, that had been better, much better, much longer. And suddenly she could hear Mama calling from upstairs, saying it was late. But right then, she pictured that second kiss. Moonlight over the Colosseum, a hot September night. A memorable kiss that made her tremble even as she sat long and sensuous, just like Papa's. Except it'd been another girl, Daria, a wonderful girl, a gorgeous girl. They'd gone to the park after, in the darkness, their bodies eager and wanting. Now she felt her thigh tremble. She was meeting her that weekend up at her place, Two days together. She shivered and smiled. Maybe one last piece of tart, she thought. And she loved Rome. There were just so many possibilities. Now we bet you didn't see that ending coming. Anyway, time for us to leave. Do remember 3w's dot That's our main platform. And so we're going to leave you today with one of our Hope the Worlds. And today's Hope the World is, we hope the world is making you smile today. Bye now.